Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Did you not know my Joseph Adai chant, Jake? I will say that I was as familiar with that as I was the Welcome to Our Cemetery chant, which apparently is a somewhat normal uh, softball chant, but I was unfamiliar with it. Matthew said that uh, I did the chant with you, Kevin. The Adai chant is well known. A-D-D-A-I. Adai, Adai, Adai. And when was this chanted? Certainly his rookie year. He was tremendous. Like, I mean, just like... like at the stadium or in the section, press box by you Section or 627. Okay. After a big run by Joseph Adai. Very unique running style, Joseph Adai. He was a good player. How would you call that? Was he like a glider? Was he hopping around? I just... Now, this question I'm about to ask will both show my age and also I will accept no answer but the right answer. Okay? Oh, boy. (laughs) Who was the smoothest to watch runner in Colts running back history? There is n- there is no answer but one. It is indisputable, and I will fight over this. Boy, you fighting Scotty over hockey last segment. Now you're fighting. Uh, was it Dickerson? Yes. Scotty has to agree with me, right? I mean, Eric Dickerson at full stride was literally a gazelle. He was so smooth. Yeah, I felt that way about watching Adrian Peterson. I'm not saying that I was a bratty kid. But when Eric Dickerson became a Colt, I ran into him at Castleton Square Mall in Aladdin's Castle, by the way, and walked up and said, Mr. Dickerson, can I have your autograph? And he said, it's not me. And I said, well, then you're clearly Eric Dickerson, because otherwise you would say, I'm not him. And he looked at me and was like, oh, man. <laughs> he got me on that. Still didn't sign the autograph. But. That is so you right there. <laughs> well. So you. Um, all right, let's head to the Payless Lickers Hotline. You've heard them all with us before here, especially leading into the draft, and was outstanding on the ESPN coverage of the draft in Kansas City, which I believe he has some ties to, if I'm not mistaken as well. He is Matt Miller. Matt, great work, man. I know this is probably the last thing you want to be doing in the week after the draft, so we appreciate that, but great, great stuff all, all month long and especially last week. No, I appreciate it. This is actually what I like to do after the draft. It's great to like hop on with you guys and, and even, you know, other cities and, and digest it. You know, I, I think we spend a year evaluating these prospects and then the draft in Saturday night and it's like, Oh, okay, well we just go back into our cave and start watching next year's play. So it's actually a lot of fun to, to be able to take that that, you know, information we gained over the last year and now apply it to a scheme fit and a you know depth chart. So I uh, truly appreciate you guys having me on to do this. Well, thank you. Uh, athletes galore here in the dozen picks of Chris Ballard. Your thoughts on Anthony Richardson and the group that followed? Yeah, like I just said, this is why this is so important to come back on because we evaluate these guys in a, in a vacuum. And then you get to see the scheme they land in, the depth chart, the weapons around them at quarterback. And it can change your evaluation to some degree. And I've been saying this for years. Of I want to be able to go back after quarterbacks are drafted and say, hey, here's how things look now. That We're not evaluating them for a generic team, basically. I absolutely love Anthony Richardson to this team. I love the fit with Shane Steichen, who a lot of people say, oh, well, Shane was with, 
you know, the Eagles, that's true. But he was also with the Chargers. And, you know, what they did with Justin Herbert, getting him on the field early and unexpectedly, if you'll remember right, you know, with, with yeah. Tyrod Taylor suffering the injury. So that I, I see it as like, gosh, this is such a good opportunity for Anthony to play right away. And a lot of, a lot of folks, and I was one of them early on in the process, and ah, he's got to sit and learn. He's got to sit and learn. I don't think so. I think you've got to get him on the field right now. Let's lock in those changes and improvements that he's made to his footwork. Let's, I think the best way to learn how to play football is to play football. So with what the Colts have, Bernard Raymond was taking steps at left tackle last year. You're going to have a healthy Quentin Nelson, a healthy Jonathan Taylor. you got some big old wide receivers out there and Pittman Jr. and Pierce. I say get him out there. Let him play. Let him learn. And and whether you want to call it the Josh Allen plan or the Jalen Hurts plan or the Justin Fields plan, call it whatever you want. But there's examples of dynamic athletes having success early and developing on the fly instead of sitting in a film room for a year trying to trying to learn. You know, Matt, you you, you might have kind of answered this, and feel free to say, "Hey, man, I just answered that," in uh, <laughs> a little bit of this that answer. But I have always felt that with young quarterbacks, you you have a window. You have a window to start getting them some footing, and if with and I don't know how long that window is. Maybe it's different quarterback to quarterback, but. With some quarterbacks, you reach a point of no return. If it hasn't taken off, it hasn't clicked, if you haven't protected them, they just get a PTSD you can't come back from. Yeah. Do you feel that Indianapolis does have the pieces in place to avoid that for Anthony Richardson? I do. I do because you have coaches who know how to develop quarterbacks. And so like to your point, I look at someone like Mitch Trubisky. You know, you get drafted in Chicago. There's still debate to this day on if John Fox actually wanted him or not, or if Ryan Pace just made the pick. So you, you kind of get drafted to a spot where, like, man, maybe they, maybe the, the building was split. You don't have, you know, those, those ideal quarterback developers, and then you kind of get bounced around, and then before you know it, you're a backup. You know, you're just you – can't, you can't ever regain some of that time that was lost. So I look at Indy and the staff that is built there and say, yeah, they can, they can develop a quarterback and that they've kind of built this staff with that in mind, um, but also that there are weapons to where, you know, like I said, Justin Fields. Last year in Chicago, Justin Fields had very, very little around him, so he had to go out there and play Superman at times, and we saw it with the rushing ability, not so much with the passing, which is the opposite of what he was in Ohio State. So I think with Anthony, not only is it Shane Steichen, it's having, you know, a Jim Bob Cooter, it's having Cameron Turner, having Reggie Wayne as a wide receivers coach, you know, just in his ability to say, hey, here's how my wide receivers can help a young quarterback. I think that's all invaluable. So, uh, and obviously, you know, Peyton's going to be around the building, uh, I would imagine, and, and be able to offer some advice to, you know, how to, how to navigate being flawless in college to a rough rookie season and the mental aspects that come with that. So I do think this is a good spot for Richardson. I can remember Sam when the year Mahomes was drafted and he went to Kansas City is when I kind of started the – I'd like to be able to, to talk about him differently now that we know where he's going because if he had been drafted by you know a team like the Browns at that point, I, I think he would have been ultimately good, but probably not the player that we see right now or not – he would have won an MVP in his second year. So sometimes that – situation and the ecosystem that you're being dropped into as a player matters just so so much for your development matt miller's our guest he's on the payload Zickers hotline matt i'm going to read off to you just because i don't necessarily expect you or our listeners to have it right in front of them 
quickly, I'm going to read off the Colts draft class, okay? Anthony Richardson, obviously, we talked about that. Julius uh, Julius Brents, Josh Downs, Blake Freeland. Uh, give me the name of the kid from Northwestern, oh, Kevin. Oh, boy. Ade, Tamawa Adabare. Okay. Darius Rush, Daniel Scott, Will Mallory, Evan Hole, Titus Leo, Jalen Jones, Jake Wilt. Or, or Jake Witt, excuse me. Of that list, give me the first one that when their name was called, you went, whoa, Indianapolis is starting to take some flyers here. Uh, f- uh, flyers? Ooh. If any. I mean, were there None. any that you thought, None. okay, that's a stretch? No. no, not at all. I loved Julius Brent. Loved. Uh, he, his senior bowl week, like, won me over. Uh, the one game of his I tried to watch, like, really watch during the season, he got ejected early. It was a Texas game. So, um, senior bowl week, I was like, hey, this dude can freaking play. You know, and, and he's long, he's physical, and he's going to dominate the line of scrimmage. Josh Downs, I had a second-round grade on, and, and he's one of the best slot receivers in this draft. Blake Freeland, I had a third-round grade on. The athleticism it tells me he can be a very good player. Uh, Adam Tamiwa, Adabare, people were saying late first. After the combine, when he ran a four four nine or whatever, you know four five nine at two hundred eighty pounds, I think he's going to kick inside. That's going to help him a lot. So um, I, I didn't see any reaches at all. Um, in fact, I saw a lot of really good value. The player they drafted, Evan Hole from Northwestern, is the only player who was drafted ahead of where I had him graded. And he's a good player. He's a good athlete. Um, he's just you know he's a little bit undersized. I didn't particularly love his pass protection or his hands, but. We're talking about a, a late fifth-round pick is the only one where I'm like, oh, value was a little off. Okay, Matt Miller's with us, ESPN.com, at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. Matt, all of a sudden, the AFC looks kind of fun. You know, I, I've joked before, I feel like, uh, excuse me, the AFC South, I should say, looks kind of fun. I've joked before the AFC South should be the true TV uh, division of all the AFC divisions. That's where it belongs. But all of a sudden, you've got you know three rookie quarterbacks, maybe Trevor Lawrence. When you look at Tennessee and Houston specifically, Houston with Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud, Tennessee doing the Will Levis, uh, Peter Skaronsky draft duo, and then obviously what the Colts did. Of those three teams, Houston, Tennessee, and Indy, who do you like the best out of the draft? Uh, I like them all. I'll, I'll say that. I, I, what Houston did was really intriguing. Um, I, I liked the first two picks a lot, obviously, right? Like you're getting two top five players. After that, like I thought they reached for Juice Scruggs. Tank Dell's like a fun little player, but little. Like you can't talk about Tank Dell and not say little. They also, their wide receiver room's really deep. So I liked better what Tennessee did. So I will say Indy and then probably Tennessee just because the way the Titans played the board was really, really smart. Um, you mentioned against Skronsky in the first. I don't know where he's going to play yet, and that will probably shape to some degree how I view their draft. Getting Levis in round two is a really good value. No matter what you think of Will Levis, I was not his biggest fan. Um, that's still a great value. Uh, but the Titans, you know, were kind of light on picks after they made that trade up. So I think Tennessee, uh, that, that's why I would knock them a little bit. For the Colts, you mentioned it. I mean, giving Chris Ballard 12 picks is is a lot. It's a lot for someone who I know he's taken his lumps. I've delivered some of them on not being able to solve the quarterback problem long term. But outside of quarterback, he's been a very good drafter. And I, I think that this is the year where we'll see if, if he got it right at quarterback. I feel strongly that he got it right at a lot of these selections. You know, even guys like Darius Rush and Will Mallory can be very, very good players. Do you think Malik Willis is still in play in Tennessee? Is Will Levis just automatically going to be kind of given the opportunity to 
to take the reins eventually, or is this maybe also to kind of push Willis and see what you've got? I get the sense that they're done with Malik Willis. Yeah, and that was not a – I mean, Matt, that was not a long window of opportunity. That I'm not saying that, that he deserves you – know, I, I don't know. I'm not down there. But right. you know what I mean? That's That kind of goes back to – it didn't take them long to make that decision. No, and I, I – so I'm not I'm not breaking news. I'm, this is purely speculation on my part. But, you know, a lot changes once you get a player in the building. Um, and, they, you know, you – Josh Rosen's the best example of this, I think, where you draft a guy and you get him in the building and you go, oh, wait, never mind. You know, I, I remember hearing a story from someone who worked for the Chiefs, and I won't out the player, but they drafted a guy and they got him in rookie camp and they, they're all like, they're looking at each other like, oh, we messed up. You know, and it, it wasn't a first-round pick, but it was a, it was a mid-round pick. And they looked around like, yeah, we, we've messed up here. Um, and so, you know, sometimes guys look really good on tape and you see them in February at the combine, and they look pretty good. But you can get them in your building in May and go, "Well, we wasted a pick there. We burnt that pick up." And I'm not saying that Malik Willis is that way, but one year later, you're already drafting another quarterback. You're trading up to draft another quarterback. There has been no mention of Malik Willis as the heir apparent to Ryan Tannehill. So I think it's a safe assumption that, for whatever reason, whether it was play or performance, he has has been knocked down the ladder there. Matt, we'll end with this. And Matt Miller, ESPN, is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, you made some, I think what you have even considered, some bold calls on this Colts draft class in that you think Anthony Richardson, uh, if it's not B. John Robinson, uh, will be the rookie of the year here offensively. And then you feel like in a handful of years, we're talking about the Colts as a Super Bowl-type team. Uh, care to expand on the, either of those? Yeah, I mean, if things go right, and that was part of the, the exercise, was if if Richardson develops into what I think he can become, and again, we talked about how great the situation is there for him. This was a team not that long ago that was being talked about as a Super Bowl contending roster if the quarterback situation got right. So I, I still see it that way. This is a really good defense. We talked about how good the general manager is at finding players outside of round one, finding values, pulling off trades for guys like Defoe. So uh, Richardson has an unlimited ceiling. I think that's the thing to remember here. There's no cap on how good he can be. He's size-wise an elite prospect, arm strength-wise elite prospect, speed and running ability elite prospect. Everything I've been told is he is a worker, he's intelligent, and he's humble. He knows he needs to get better. So I think you put all those things together and then give him the right people around him to help make him better, the sky's the limit. And it's, you know... Three, four years if we're talking about, okay, like Mahomes is always going to be Mahomes, right? But if there's like, hey, it's Joe Burrow and it's Jalen Hurts and it's you know, Justin Herbert and it's Anthony Richardson, like I'm not going to be shocked if he's in that conversation. Matt, have you ever been to – Matt Miller's our guest uh, in conclusion here. Indy or Ohio, I think they have been both. Have you ever been to Matt the Miller's restaurant or bar? I, I get it text, uh, tweeted to me all the time. I've never been. Uh, I need to. I need to make it happen. Um, but I do. People tweet me all the time, like, "Look, is this yours?" No, I don't. I don't own a, a tavern in Ohio. Unfortunately. I, I'd be going straight uh, discount. Well, be, next time here for the combine, it's about you know twenty minutes, thirty minutes north of downtown. Right. It's a good and spot. You can hit one up. There we go. I, you would think maybe there's like a little discount, maybe like one free beer with the name. I don't know. Hell yes. I'll find that out, guys, and let you know. Needless to say, the beer would have to be draft. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, that was good. 
That yeah. was good. Matt, Thank welcome you. to my life for three hours every morning. <laughs> Matt, okay. uh, great work, man. I appreciate you hopping on with us all draft season long. Uh, hopefully enjoy some quiet time coming up. Uh, next week will be very quiet, and I'll be bored and lonely and missing you guys. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. From ESPN, Stephen Holder joins us. Stephen, yesterday, you know, kind of a back and forth, um, I think it was Mina Kimes maybe that mentioned the Chris Ballard quote from Thursday night about yeah. you know swinging on the Grand Slam front with or taking a big swing with Anthony Richardson. Um, it, I think the debate we had kind of lead into the draft was, should that be the thought process? Should you look at the AFC and see the quarterbacks and see the youth and, and kind of this golden age of young quarterbacks and say, all right, if you're going to take one, take the one that has the potential to reach the highest ceiling? Whether it's Jim Irsay, Chris Bauer, or Shane Steichen, how much of that do you think was on the minds of the Colts? I do think, at least in part, that was their thinking. I mean, they said it in – So that confirms part of it. But I also think that none of these conversations are had like in a vacuum. They're they're had within context. And in this particular case, the context is around what were the available quarterbacks. And and that's something that that multiple people in the organization communicated to me, which is that they didn't feel like any of these quarterbacks were, were the perfect prospects. And so, you know, now would would they have chosen Bryce Young if he was on the board? I don't know. Maybe. That's totally possible. And, and no one would bat an eye had they done that. But but a combination of understanding where they were in the draft in terms of position and then also understanding that all of these quarterbacks, I mean, all the listeners know what they are. They know what the flaws are in all of these guys. They, they all had flaws. And there are there are flaws that, that could prevent them from seeing – their ceiling as an NFL. Given all of that, I think the decision was made. Let's take the guy with the highest upside because that's the one thing that everybody can agree on is that, all right, the upside here is greatest for this particular player. Does not mean he'll ever see the ceiling, but if you can get him there, the payoff is going to be the biggest. So I, I do think so. Now, had you had a Trevor Lawrence type of prospect or, you know, God forbid, an Andrew Luck kind of prospect in this draft and and you have access to him then that's different but that just wasn't the case Steven I think I've asked you this kind of a question before but you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense right with Bruce Willis I have it's been a long time yeah, it's, it's 30 years ago yeah. I realized but w- without I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there that hasn't seen it but at the end of the movie there's a big reveal and then you look back and you start to question how you didn't see it while it was happening. Like, how did I not notice that? Now, you were pretty, I think, you know, you were pretty plugged in and adamant that Anthony Richardson was probably going to be the pick, but I'm assuming a lot of that was just kind of gut. 
But once it was done, because you are, you were around Richardson during the combine process, did you then look back at moments where you said, ah, that in fact is where it was pretty clear that was the Colts guy? So, good question. I think not necessarily. Here's what I, here's what I would say. And I told this to JMV as well. I'll repeat it here. There were some things that have been said over the past few weeks that I think were aha moments that I didn't recognize at the time. One of them is on multiple occasions, Jim Ursay has talked about mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, 12 versus and 11. Yes. He said this at the owners' meetings. I, I forgot he even said it until I went back a couple weeks ago and I was going through my interviews, and I saw it, and I actually, you know, I had the, the presence of mind to put it out there right before the draft, and I guess it made me look, you know, somewhat smart, but really I just I just happened to be able to read and listen. That's all it is. Anyway, he said, you know, Jalen Hurts, and now you're playing, tw- as you said, 12 against 11. Um, he said He said he's a running back and a quarterback, so he's two players in one, so that's why you get the 12 players for the other team. And, and he went on and on about this, and I do not think with Jim Mercer that even though there's a lot of extra extraneous stuff when you talk to him, there's all these different tangents, right? And you have to sift through all of that to try to make sense of what he is saying. But when you really drill down, he really draws you a map oftentimes. And you just don't necessarily see it at the time. <laughs> and he did. He really did. He was telling us at the time, like, this is really important to me. And I think that's what sold him on Anthony Richardson. I'm not saying that's the only reason they drafted him. But as it relates to the owner, his sign-off was, okay, you tell me we, we got a chance at Jalen Hurts, potentially. Okay, I want that. I'm in. And so he was sold by that. I think there were other things, like small things, like, for example, Morocco Brown. I knew – his level of, of interest and, and I think, conviction about Anthony Richardson, that actually did inform some of my thoughts. You know, like it wasn't just – a lot of it is gut, but I think a lot of it is just taking anecdotal evidence and, and looking at it and, and then combining that with what makes sense. And I thought what made sense uh, for the Colts, given their head coach and given the other stuff that I knew – I thought it did make sense that this would be their target, but but you never really know. And and the Levis conversation really did heat up to a point where I really didn't feel secure that he would be the guy. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, what I'm saying is there was no like true, you know, flashing red light that I think I missed. It was a lot of little stuff, but I do think the Ursay statements, like I said, on multiple occasions, he talked about those those. Um, mobile quarterbacks, and often, oftentimes, last thing, oftentimes what Jim Mersey is telling us often is a re- reflection of what they're talking about behind closed doors. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one more comment, Stephen. It was probably I had heard a little bit of chatter, but it was probably the comment that kind of pushed me to fully go in on the Anthony Richardson and that's going to be the pick at four. I turned to you after Chris Bauer got done last Friday at his press conference and said, that moment during the presser when he kind of mm. went off on a tangent about everyone's pegging us to one guy right now, yeah. and that's not true, yeah. that was Will Levis. 
Because all I the agree. chatter leading into Friday was about Levis nationally. And I said to you, we're going to sit here on Thursday night, and if if and when they take Anthony Richardson, it's gonna, I, I'll point back to that comment as like one that Ballard, in a typical Ballard press conference setting, he always usually says one or two things that end up becoming very, very true. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't want to overlook that because I, I, I agree. We did have that conversation, and I felt the exact same way because I didn't know what else he could possibly re- be referring to because there was there was only really one overwhelming sentiment out there. Certainly there were people saying Anthony Richardson uh, or even C.J. Stroud if he fell, and we'll just never know, but, but definitely the overwhelming uh, noise about the Colts was about Will Levis, and I think he was fully aware of that. I don't think that comment was made just off the cuff. I, I think he absolutely had an intention when he said that. Do you think that, I mean, it's neither here nor there now, Stephen, but was Ursay throwing out a smokescreen with some of the Levis chatter? Because, I, I mean, I heard it directly, for, not from Jim Ursay, but from people that said, like, hey, Ursay has said privately or, you know, talked kind of talked up Will Levis, and then afterwards Ursay saying, yeah, we probably would have taken Levis. Uh, do you think there was internal discussion about it and that's where that leaked? Well, I mean, we know that they discussed Will Levis. I mean, that is clear. They they went – they gave him basically the same level of, of scouting as the other guys. So, so I don't – you know, I don't think it's – we can't discount Will Levis because they didn't discount Will Levis. They they definitely considered him. I believe Jim Mercer when he says they would have drafted Levis or traded down, and frankly, trading down would have been tough, I think. So I, I think they probably would have ended up with Levis. So, yeah, I, I really – I don't think it's – I don't know if it's so much a smokescreen as much as they were legitimately considering him. And, and I think there were two quarterbacks they knew that they were most likely to have a choice of. Right. Right? So it was either going to be one of those two guys. I mean, there were scenarios certainly where C.J. Stroud could potentially fall. But you know what this taught us is that our instincts are right. Our our pecking order for the quarterbacks was always right. <laughs> it was always right, you know. And, and I think the one thing we had initially, early, early on in the process, it was kind of like, oh well, is C.J. Stroud better than Bryce Young? He had just come off that that big game in, in the college football playoff, so there was a lot of buzz about him. But ultimately, Bryce Young had been maybe you know the best player in the country. Uh, at times, uh, at much of the, for much of the past couple of years, and that ultimately uh, proved to be true. He was the number one quarterback taken, C.J. Stroud next, and then Anthony Richardson, then Levis. I, I think that's kind of how I would have bet that it would have gone. So, you know, maybe what happens in the draft process is we start with a pretty decent idea of, of what the pecking order is, and then we tear it apart and lie to ourselves and convince ourselves otherwise, and then it ends up being what we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Holder's our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. You, of course, can read his work at ESPN.com. Stephen, Kevin and I discussed earlier, so I'd like your input on this. In your opinion, the player or position room that is currently on the Colts roster before the draft that on draft morning woke up and went, yeah, I'm not feeling real comfortable about my job situation would be who or which. Mm-hmm. Well, the most competitive place on the roster right now, I think, is tight end. That is now they only made one pick there. I get that, but it was already crowded. Frankly, I mean, they have about six guys who I think 
have a shot at the the final roster and frankly most teams keep three to four on on the final 53 so will mallory in in the fifth round and i'm not saying this because he's a miami hurricane but i'm telling you i mean this guy he's got a shot you know i mean look i don't know he's not he's not a perfect prospect and but I also think the, the the offensive issues at Miami impacted him in a negative way. I think if he gets into a, a pro system that really features the tight end and, and gives him an opportunity to, to play to his strengths, uh, he's a potential um, real ma- matchup problem for defenses. So anyway, you, you factor him into a room that already has Jelani Woods, who is on the come, and then Mo Ali Cox, who is – Whatever you think he is, but but certainly is is the most experienced guy in there. Uh, you've got Drew Ogletree, who through two weeks of training camp last season, people were telling me this guy is our best tight end. <laughs> so, and then he tore his ACL, but he'll be back at some point. Uh, he was making pretty good progress last time I saw him. So, you know, and I can go on, right? There's and it's it's a list. The list goes longer than that. So I I think that is a room there where you cannot afford to have a bad training camp because tough decisions, I think, are going to have to be made. Yeah, and call it politics, call it whatever you want, but Will Mallory was drafted by Shane Steichen. None of those other tight ends were drafted by Shane Steichen, similar to you know Isaiah Rogers is probably behind the eight ball at corner because he isn't a Gus Bradley corner and doesn't necessarily, I think, have the frame that Gus is looking for. Um, again, Stephen Holder with us here, ESPN.com. Uh, Steven, the offensive line that ended last season, is that the offensive line that will start this season? Boy, it's looking more and more likely. Uh, That's one of my takeaways from this draft was I didn't hate what they did at the offensive line. I just thought there would have been an interior pick, too. And if it was up to me, Uh, I think we probably overlooked the importance of getting a swing tackle which is what I think they, they believe they have um, in, in Blake Freeland. I mean, we'll see. That, but that's, that's basically, if we had the pencil in his role right now, that's, that's where he would likely fall. Uh, I've heard a lot of good reviews about him from, from draft analysts after the draft who really like that pick and, and think that he, is, um, he, he has a lot of athletic ability. And, and can step in and play as a rookie. So we'll see. They, they do need depth at tackle, particularly when Bernard Raymond is your left tackle and, and is still doing on-the-job training, frankly. So, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. I, I was just going to say, it kind of gets into my next question of, like, they have this cap space. They have a decent amount of cap space still yeah. left this offseason. Ballard's mentioned O-line. He's mentioned corner. as And this was pre-draft as maybe some positions – that they would look into. So I guess, Stephen, I'm curious, like, where do you think they stand on this debate? Hey, this season, you know, it's probably going to be about the future. Let's just play some of the young guys and let's use that cap space on extending Michael Pittman and or Jonathan Taylor. Do they look at it in that lens or do they look at it in the lens of, hey, if Andy Richardson started, we need to make sure that that O-line is really secure. Let's go out and get a veteran, maybe get a veteran corner, things like that. Yeah, I think you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't think yeah. either one rules out the other, and sometimes they act like it does. I don't think it does. Look, so here's the deal. You can, first of all, we had all that Lamar Jackson conversation. I mean, frankly, we never really thought it was going to happen, but but you're right. Um, they still are in really good cap position. They didn't do that. You're going to have a quarterback who's going to make like $34 million over four years 
his cap number is going to be very reasonable, Anthony Richardson. So you're not you're not really impacting your cap space in a in a major way there. And, and plus, you you already knew that you had that cook, it sort of baked into the cake anyway. So they're in decent shape. I mean, the, the players that are going to be available from here on out, they're not costing you ten million dollars anyway. You know, with with very very few exceptions. I mean, there are players like. You know, Yannick Ngakwe is still out there who, who would command decent money, but, but those are few and far between. You know, you're talking about depth pieces or, or really someone just to come in and kind of compete for a starting job. And I think it makes sense right now. I think with the offensive line in particular, corner as well, although that was, that was addressed in the draft, but with the, the offensive line, you know, that right guard spot in particular, that helps the quarterback too. And I think that should be the biggest priority this year, should be helping Anthony Richardson get to where he needs to go. Not because you want to win 12 games this year, because I don't see that happening, but I think it's just about developing the quarterback. And the way you develop him is to give him every advantage. And so I say do it. Help him. Stephen, you and I have watched Pacer games together. Kevin and I have talked a lot about the Pacers. Stephen Holder's our guest. Which team, which franchise gets to their conference finals more recently from right now? Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis Colts. Hmm. Steven, would you go to those games if they didn't have the free drinks, alcohol to sit next to Jake for two hours, by the way? It's helpful. helpful. (laughs) Excuse me. Trust me, I've tried to do it here on a few mornings, (laughs) and unfortunately, it's a bit frowned upon. Yeah, I I mean, Shannon is awesome, though. She's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh So that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. (laughs) Steven, uh, uh, Shannon, you mind sitting in between us, actually? We'll put Jake on the other side. I noticed both of them actually are the ones that send me out to the little bar area to get refills. (laughs) Well, we talk about you when you leave. Exactly, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, I, I realize yeah, it's probably yeah, I easier. In the and it sounds crazy to say easier. I mean, in the NFL, it's one games, right? I think it's a great question. But but they're both kind of right there, right? I think it's a great question because you know, honestly, they're in very much the same place. And, That's what I mean by that. Yeah, we've talked about this. We we have talked about this. I, I think it's a great question, and it talks. It speaks to you know team building philosophies and and all of that. Uh, here's what I think, or here's what I would say. I, I believe that in the NBA, to some extent, it's faster to turn things around because it only takes a player or two. But the, the problem is you need like a couple true bona fide stars to really to get there. Um, in the NFL, the quarterback, to some extent, and, and I think the, the Colts also have a a higher starting – they're starting further down the road. Let's put it that way, right? They haven't completely stripped their team down. The Pacers did. So they have, they have, more, they have more room to travel, a longer way to travel. The Colts, while I don't think they're going to be good this year, I mean, if the quarterback hits, their team is not terrible. Like, you know, I don't – again, I haven't had high hopes for them this year. But, I mean, we can all see a, a scenario where – if the quarterback is ridiculously good, and I have no idea, nobody does. But like, what if he's what if he's amazing? <laughs> I mean, they have enough. Where again, as you said, uh, three hours on Sunday, you know, he makes a few plays, and next thing you know, you're finding yourself with a couple playoff wins. That could happen. That can't happen in the NFL. I, I do think in the NBA, while the the two 
superstars can get you where you want to go. And the Colts, excuse me, the Pacers, they aren't there yet, but they're on their way, we think, we hope. Uh, that still is, a, at the end of the day, that seven game, that's a seven setup, it, it does tend to have the cream rise to the top. So that's that's the only thing I'd say. <clears throat> and, and again, the Colts are starting uh, further down the road than the Pacers. That's, that's the main reason, I think, the, they get the nod in this particular hypothetical scenario. Plus, you are a Trevor Lawrence torn ACL on September 15th away from saying, who the hell is winning this division? Great like, point. You know, I just think more so. There might not be a player that matters more to a division going upside down in the league than Lawrence, just given how we think the discrepancy is there from Jacksonville, clearly the top team in the AFC South versus three teams that potentially could be starting rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, just look at this, the state of all the teams in the in the division right now. Even though there's a lot of optimism in Houston, I get it. They had a they had a pretty strong draft at the top of their draft, and those two players are, are going to have a hell of an impact potentially. But do you think they're going to do that now? Do we do we think that's going to happen immediately? Look, the, the Colts, top to bottom, the Colts, they they have one of the better rosters in the division. Not the best, maybe. I mean, Tennessee still got some players, but but Tennessee, frankly, at, at the top of their roster, uh, their best players. I, I think there's a lot of concerns. You know, you have to be worried about Derrick Henry, just his age, and and obviously the wear and tear. Ryan Tannehill, it's pretty clear what they think about Ryan Tannehill. They've been trying to replace him now for two years. <laughs> so they don't feel good about their, two of their most premier positions on that team. I still, They're still good on defense, clearly. And then Jacksonville, I like Jacksonville. I like what they're doing. I love Doug Peterson, but I think it's about consistency. And, and with about excuse me, until about halfway through last season, we weren't quite sure that team was even worthy of the postseason. So, you know, look, there's a lot still to be decided. And, and the Colts, again, they're not starting from zero. It's all, it's all going to boil down to the quarterback, ultimately. Uh, Steven's the latest. Uh, very good read on ESPN.com. Inside the Colts' pursuit of quarterback Anthony Richardson, something Steven's been plugged into for quite a few months now. Steven, great work on that, and uh, appreciate the time this morning. All right, guys. Talk soon. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When Kevin, here we go. I, I just found this on, uh, on the internet. Uh, cold-pressed juice. Name of the brand is Little West. How about that? So we've got West. Now, I don't know about Little, but we've got West and then Juice all in, all wrapped into one. And again, this in reference to Pat tweeted at me earlier in the show and said, Jason West coached me in his early days at Triton Central. Hell of a guy. My favorite coach and teacher always brought the juice. Jason West, are you bringing the juice to us here at 8 a.m. on this Wednesday morning? Hey, I hope so. You know, if you're juiceless, you're useless. That's what we kind of say to you know, the kids every day. If you don't have any energy yet. You know, you're kind of energy energy vampire. We just send you on home. Maybe tomorrow. You know, look at that yeah. energy vamp. I need to write if these down. Juiceless, I need to, I got two young kids. We need to be slapping the wall on our way out of the house each day, hitting these uh, 
hitting these signs. Uh, Coach, in all seriousness, thank you for the time th- th- this morning. I've seen a few quotes from you in regards to Juju Brents. It sounds like you are quite a fan of him, not only as a football player, but as a worker as well. Yeah, that's you know that's why we do this job. You you try to help young men you know along their path and and help them develop and to become good young men you know first and foremost and and then whatever you know trade they get into that that they have the confidence and um, and believe in themselves that they they can be successful and so Julius is a perfect model of of how you know you'd want it to go for not only your own kid but any any kid that you have the a pleasure to coach so it's it's worked out great you know it would be easy probably coach to say you know and you've had obviously players that have made it to the ultimate level I mean David Bell comes to mind you've had several I'm sure but and it's probably easy to say like oh yeah I knew all along but tell me about maybe a characteristic or a trait and I don't mean physically speaking but just where you can kind of tell if at all maybe the answer is man there's you have no way to know Jake until they're 19 20 years old but was there any indication early on that you saw something and thought this guy can go to the highest level well you just never know getting getting to the NFL is so difficult uh, you know you got 50 50 on a roster and 30 some teams or 1500 so you got a better chance of winning the lottery if you if you play it and and so it's it's hard to forecast but there are some characteristics, you know, and consummate professional. You have to you have to be about it every day. Whatever you do, whatever trade, the best of the best are are all in every day. They they just don't seem to find a way out of things. They find a way into things. Um, and so, and then being an undeniable, you know, type person, and in a good way, that really you can't be turned away from your your dream or your vision or, or you know what your goal is. Uh, the people who set set goals and, and try to accomplish them every day uh, seem to to do so more than those who do not. And so it is it's great to see uh, you know them set these goals and achieve them along each level they go from high school you know from freshman football where you get them first to JV to varsity to to college and and if you're lucky enough you know CFL or NFL so it's just a pleasure to to watch and it makes you very proud that you're a part you know a small part of their life that hopefully affected them in a positive way and gave them a chance at you know achieving their goals. And Jason West is with us, head coach of Franklin Central, spent eight years at Warren Central, and that is where he coached Julius Juju Brents. Um, coach, when I walked into the Colts indoor facility about a month ago for the team's local pro day, and I first saw uh, Juju, if you would have handed me a paper and said, like, all right, what position does he play? I would have guessed probably safety. Then I probably would have guessed linebacker, yep. and maybe even like wide out before I got to corner. Did he always have that sort of frame? And like, was there any part of you that's like, "Wow, this is like a this this guy needs to be playing a different position because he's just so big for corner." Well, he he was really slight, um, so corner fits him. He, he's a he's a thinner bone kid, but long long levers. Um, so he he moves really really well. As you saw at the combine, he, he smashed about everything there was that you could break, or you know, <laughs> as far as testing wise. So he, we, you know, his sophomore year, he really started popping off and having huge markers. You know, I think he broad jumped like ten six as a sophomore, and and so he had a, a lot of natural, you know, pop in in his lower unit and then his length. So he he started to grow at that at that you know time too. His freshman year, he was probably you know five nine five ten like a lot of kids, and and he kept expanding about an inch or two every year. And then I think he even grew in college. You know, I think probably an inch or two because every time I see him, every time I stand next to him, I'm like. I'm either shrinking or he's growing. Um, <laughs> so he, and he just keeps expanding. So uh, I think 
if you play that position early, you can play it later. You know, you can't go backwards in football. If you're a corner, you can go to safety. If you're safety, you can go to linebacker. If you're a linebacker, you can go to inside. Then the end, you know, the model of moving forward. But he's always kind of stayed a corner and developed properly all along. So, and he's been around, you know, some great people to train him. And, and like Julius, like I said, he shows up every day. He, he, he has no nonsense. You, you won't, you know, get a whole lot of, of glam out of him or talk. He's just a, he's just a grinder. And that's kind of the kids that we like and that we try to create. And so he, uh, along the way, you know, worked so hard on his, his length that it kept him at corner to where some kids just, you know, naturally grow and you have to move them up in the box or in or, or something. But, and he still could, like I said, four years down the road, he could, he's a kid. He could, he could move up. He, he gives you probably a player that can play three or four positions right out the gate. He can play corner. He can play field. He can play safety. He can roll down. You know, he can play. He can match up as a nickel guy, like a nickel Sam. Um, you know, if you get a matchup on a big flex tight end that, that everybody likes to have, you know, he can, he can match up anywhere. He can play press, you know, because he's so so long, um, and he runs well enough to to play man, you know, and, and zones easier for him just because of the length of his levers. So, you know, he he's very interesting to me as far as a, as a draft pick because he gives you so much flexibility. Coach, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express about a year ago, so that helps. <laughs> so he, here's what I was just thinking as we're as we're talking about him. The years would line up. I would I would assume that we're talking about a guy that not only during the, the important years of high school where you're developing both physically and probably mentally the game of football, but he probably was lining up against David Bell more often than not in practice, right? That had to be advantageous, probably for both, right? Oh, yeah, iron sharpens iron, and we try to do it as much as possible. I was lucky to have a front row seat to one of the coolest shows you know, in high school, so... Uh, David could do so many things. He's so kinesthetically gifted and such a sharp and heady player, you know. And uh, and Julius is the same thing. He he studies. Like Julius is not a big guy who makes mistakes twice, and neither is David. And that's what again what the best do. Uh, they don't continue to make the same mistakes, and they don't lose their confidence. So like Julius, if you're going to play DB in the, in the NFL or any anywhere now, because everybody throws the ball pretty well, even in high school, you have to have short term memory loss. You have to move on to the next play. Um, in the next day, and and so he's gonna have some ups and downs. But it was it was great to see him battle, you know, whether it was one on one, seven on seven, and they never got after each other personally. They knew what the the goal was, and that was to make each other better. Um, and, and if you you know hang your head or feel sorry for yourself, and in that school, uh, the, you know the schedule we played or the schedule he went on to play in college, you, you're not gonna make it. So um, I think those early traits to be tough and get through it, and you're gonna lose some, but next play really stuck. You know, with him because we had Mike Tutsi in that group and Dejon. We had some some really really uh, great kids in that perimeter for those few years, and it was a lot a lot of fun. Now, which of those two do you feel most benefited from the daily practice against one another? Um, I don't know if there's a. I mean, David benefited from it because we had a pretty good. Uh, perimeter, so it didn't matter if he was on Julius or if he was on Mike or if he was on. Doc. I mean, he had somebody all across the board that he had to go had, had to go to work, and that was really good for David. But for Julius, I think it was great because if you can see an NFL type receiver early in your career, you know, you know, you, you figure out their catch radius, you know, how they run their routes. Um, you know, David is always open; he's uncoverable. It's a, it's, a, it's the dangest thing. I mean, he, he's not the He's not a blazer, but he's he's hard to cover because he's very crafty and he's very strong. So I think Julius got a front row seat at 
at kind of finding out what that's all about. He didn't have to wait to college to see an NFL-type kid, and I think that is a huge advantage for sure. Coach, last one for me, and appreciate the time. Uh, you've obviously coached in this area for quite some time. It'd probably be foolish for me to ask one of your own players, so I'll kind of spin the question the other way. Who's the best high school football player you've coached against in your time here locally? Oh, you're killing me. Uh, see, the kids, all the guys I've coached, I've been coaching too long, probably. I'm getting old, and um, so I've been lucky enough to see some of some of the greatest players that you can see. Man, I've coached against Terry McLaurin, Rondell Moore. Uh, I've still never seen a kid move like that. I've never seen a kid fast as Terry. Um, you know, Caden Curry uh, in the box was one of the most amazing kids I've, I've ever seen or, or coached against. So I think it'd be real hard. You know, then I got to coach Trey Roberson, and I've coached against you know against James Banks, and um, I mean I could go a, a list of man. I, and really I thought Banks was down. coach. I, I thought Banks was, and and no, nothing against those guys you mentioned, but to me James Banks was the one that literally he looked like Super Mario Brothers when like you were on the extra speed like from everything else and could leap higher than everything. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, he was like Bo Jackson in Tecmo, but totally. I, you know Trey Roberson's probably the closest thing to him that I've seen that could you know could run, could throw, you know, could return a, a kick, could go play DB. Um, but yeah, James is he's definitely special. So yeah, I've had the, had the pleasure just coaching against so many and being in the mix for so long and and playing some teams out of state that were a lot of fun and in an all American game, I've coached in two of those and that's. You want to see some really cool kids. This whole draft, I think there's probably 15 or 20 of them that I got to coach in that 20 team that got drafted. And then I was a running back coach in 18. I, uh, Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon were my running back. So Ooh. I didn't have to coach them. I just had to make yeah. sure their laces were all t- you know tied up nice and you know, they had water. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did a good job of that. You know, wow. I felt pretty good about my week. That's, so, a, that's you know, an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah, I've been the luckiest guy alive. I, I don't know why or, 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 you know, for what reason, but I've been very fortunate and to be surrounded by some great people and great kids and, and great parents and, and great admin that's, you know, taking taking great care of, of us. And so I couldn't be more happy. And when these type of things happen, it just, you know, it, it makes your day. And, and just because you see product of all your work. It, like I said, you don't get to see how the kids are now. We're, we're always proud of them on their daily journey, but it's the 20 years down the road. Did they, they turn into good men? Did they, did they, you know, follow the path? Did they believe in themselves? And so it's great to see when these kids, especially at an early age, can go be one of the elite in the world in something. It's it's really, really special, and I couldn't be more happy for them. Well, congrats on Julius. Uh, his draft call with Chris Ballard, I think in some way, shape, or form, he said, I'm ready to work about 50 times in the minute draft call that he had with the Colts. <laughs> so he certainly is looking forward to this weekend. I know a little banged up right now, but sounds like he'll be full go for training camp. Uh, congrats on that. Good luck with everything down there at Franklin Central, and uh, we'll certainly be following along. Thank you, Coach. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. And, yeah, he'll go to work, no doubt about it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.